You're listening to Topics in the Dead Sea Scrolls and Second Temple Literature with Dr. Miriam Brand. Hello, this is Miriam Brand. Welcome to another podcast. What you're about to hear is a lecture I gave last week on the books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees in honor of the holiday of Hanukkah. If you're joining me from my series on understanding sin and evil, uh, this is part of my website podcast, so I hope you're interested. Um, If not, the next episode will be on Cain and Abel, and that will be in two weeks' time. Usually the podcast will be coming out every week, but because I am uh, going to be speaking at a conference, it's going to be delayed, so you will hear the Cain and Abel episode in about two weeks. And for this talk, I really do recommend that you download the source sheets, which you can find at my blog at understandingsin.com or as a redirect from miriambrand.com, M-I-R-Y-A-M-B-R-A-N-D.com. So enjoy, and I look forward to sharing more with you in another couple of weeks. Speak to you then, and enjoy the lecture. The reason I wanted to, to speak to you tonight is because uh, my specialty is in Second Temple literature, which is books, particularly books written by Jews during the Second Temple period and right after the Second Temple period. And these are books that did not make it into Tanakh. Okay? And so people don't know about them. And yet these books tell us a lot. They tell us a lot about Jewish history. They tell us a lot about Jewish thought. And they'll tell us a lot about Hanukkah that we didn't know. And we wouldn't know without these books a lot of the time. So what we're, I'm going to, be going to be speaking to you about tonight is particularly things from the first and second books of the Maccabees. And each of them, in its own way, is a history right, of the events leading up to Hanukkah and beyond. Okay, so so um, what, first of all, how do we have these books? Okay, they didn't make it into Tanakh. Jews wrote them, so how do we have them? Um, if if we compare when we what we the Tanakh what we call a Tanakh right the Tanakh is is the Judean Tanakh it's a Tanakh that the Jews in Yehuda decided was the Tanakh they decided this these were the holy books that need to be continually copied and referenced they weren't the only books that were authoritative even for what we do Chazal right because Chazal for example they'll cite Ben Sira as authoritative and Ben Sira is not in Tanakh. Okay, uh, Ben Sira is in the Apocrypha, and I'm going to explain in just a bit what the Apocrypha are. Um, so, though, but essentially, if we look at Tanakh and we say, well, what made it in and what didn't? The idea was that it had a certain level of holiness, certain level of prophecy to it. Even the Ketuvim, right, the the writings that aren't part of the Nevi of the prophets, they have a certain level of holiness of kedusha. And in order to have that level of holiness, from the point of view of uh, the Jews in Yehuda, and probably in, in Jews not just in Yehuda, um, the idea is that prophecy ended with Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, who were the prophets during the return to Zion Shabbat Zion, which happened right when the Jews came back, right, from from their, their Babylonian exile during the Persian period. So anything that was obviously written after that period did not make it into the Judean Tanakh. It could be important, it could be interesting, it could be very wise, it wasn't going to get into the Judean Tanakh. And that was the case with Ben Sira. They said, wow, this is, this is a really good book, he's really very wise, but he clearly lived after this period. Then you have the Alexandrian Jewish community. Alexandria in Egypt had a very large 
Jewish community, an educated Jewish community, a religious Jewish community who didn't understand Hebrew anymore. They didn't understand Hebrew. They probably, probably didn't understand Aramaic. They needed a Bible in Greek. So the first thing they did right, was they translated the Torah, right? Chamisha Chumshei Torah, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, right? They, they translated that into, into Greek. And there's a whole story about that, that it was miraculous, that either 70 or 72 uh, sages translated it the same way. They all agreed. Anyone who knows any rabbis at all knows that it's truly a miracle. And it was, it, was, it, was, it was considered a miracle. It was considered miraculous. So that that, so that, that Torah, that Torah in Greek, which was called the Septuagint 70, after the 70 sages, it was considered, you, they would read it in, in, uh, in Shul, in synagogue. Um, then they kept on translating, right? It's not, those weren't the only important books, though. I mean, they, they had an idea, okay, this is the Torah. But there are all these other books that, are, that were part of what we could call the Alexandrian Tanakh. And the Alexandrian Tanakh was not quite as strict as the Judean Tanakh was. It could just be a very important book. It could be an interesting book. It could, have, it could be a book of good Jewish values. You know, sometimes I think when I read Tobit, maybe they kept Tobit just because it was a good story. There are angels, there are demons. You know, it's, it's, it's exciting. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a guy who's blinded with birth. It's, there's not, it's not, you know, this is fun to read. It's fun to read. So the Alexandrian Tanakh is much, much broader. And that's what we call the Septuagint. When we say Septuagint, we don't just mean the, the initial translated Torah. We mean all of the books that were translated as part of the Alexandrian Bible. Now, among those books were books like the First, First Maccabees and Second Maccabees. They're very important Jewish books because they tell the history right, of, of what happened before and after the Maccabees. And so they were kept by the Alexandrian Jewish community and read by the Alexandrian Jewish community. How do we have them today? The Alexandrian Jewish community was wiped out. How do we have them today? Well, the answer is, of course, that when the early Christians needed to kind of sell the Gospels, right? And how do you, and the whole point of the Gospels was that Yeshu is kind of the is is living out what the prophet said. So if you don't have what the prophet said, then the gospels don't help much, right? So you need what the prophet said. You need the whole Bible to go along with the gospels. Problem is, if you're going around the Mediterranean and you're trying to convince people that this is that this is uh, that this is divine, you need to have it in their language. And everyone knows Greek, but no one knows Hebrew. So you need a Greek Bible. Well, that's no problem. There is a Greek Bible. There's the Alexandrian Jewish Bible. So you take the Bible, you put on the Gospels, and you take it around to everyone when you're talking about Christianity. And that's what they did. Now, this is a simplification, obviously, but it's, it's enough for our purposes. And what you have then is you have what, what uh, is still, let's say, um, the, the um, Bible of, of Catholicism, right? which is the whole Septuagint, which includes its... It's what we call the Hebrew Bible, our Tanakh, plus what we call the Apocrypha, and those are books that made it into the Alexandrian Jewish collection, but not into our Tanakh, right? And then you have the New Testament. Now, when the um, with the Protestant Reformation, they said, well, you know, um, these aren't really these books aren't in the Hebrew Bible, right? They're apocryphal, right? Uh, we're going to kick them out, and they took out the Apocrypha. 
So if you look at a Protestant Bible, it's not going to have the Apocrypha in it. And uh, and today, today if you get, probably if you get, let's say, the Oxford Study Bible, it will have the Apocrypha in it. But if you have, but depending on the Bible, it will either have those books or not have those books within it. And of course, the Christian Church interpreted these books in ways that had to do with the church as opposed to the Jewish people as such. Particularly, for example, the book of Judith is a very good example of that, where Judith, who represents the Jewish people in the initial work, was later interpreted as representing the church, right, within its, um, in its Christian context. <clears throat> so today, we're going to be talking about 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees and what they can teach us about what happened around Hanukkah that we didn't necessarily know before. Just as a question, was there a big debate among the Judean Jews about what should be in and out? Look, according to... And it much later that we have the Bible? When does it finally... Well, we have, look, it talks about it in the Talmud, right? Um, And and the question is how much of what the discussion they're talking about in the Talmud, if a rabbi says, I had to take and I took it with me to the attic, and I wasn't going to come down until I solved every problem in Yechezkel. That means he knows he's got to solve every problem in Yechezkel. Yechezkel was in. Yechezkel wasn't coming out of, of Tanakh. He had to solve those problems. So I, I think that there was, at a certain point, there was some kind of discussion. Um, I, in, uh, academically, for a long time, they kind of created this idea that at Yavna, the Council of Yavna, um, yeah, everything was decided. That's kind of a construct. It's like an academic construct. We don't really have proof that that happened. And I would say that probably, and we do see this distinction, even in the Second Temple period, there was a general idea of, okay, this is the Torah. These are prophets that are super important. Right? These are writings that you know some people really like and some people don't. And there were well, that's a question like people will say, um, um, like there's like how did it, it's when you read the apocrypha, like I said, the apocrypha is pretty clear that books that were clearly written later or books that were a little strange and you know, they may have said that they're like from a Syri- the Syrian time, you know, but clearly weren't. Um, and then when you get to pseudepigrapha, which are books that didn't even make it into that Bible, but were kept by some church somewhere, and we now know that they were Jewish, those books are really weird. Now, we happen to know, though, that there were Jews during the Second Temple period who believed that those books were holy. And we found fragments in the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, and we have uh, places in the Dead Sea Scrolls where they'll, where they'll cite these very strange works. So there were a lot of different Jews that believed a lot of different things during the Second Temple I mean, like period. Esther wasn't in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right. And Esther is exactly the sort of book that you say, wait, how, so was there a debate about Esther getting in or not? Now, one thing that, that I, I, we might get to is it's clear that um, in, in the time of when... Let's say uh, when. Oh, and by the way, you will see a timeline on the second page, on the last page, rather, fourth page, at the bottom. You'll see a timeline, which is very useful. Okay. Second Maccabees was uh, was uh, when you see Demetrius II recognizes Judean independence in 142 BCE. That's around when Second Maccabees was finished. And Second Maccabees talks about uh, the day of Mordechai. Okay, so we know that there was a poem that is referring to at that point. Right. So, um, um, and <coughs> Esther Esther explains Purim in a way the a way in 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 the way Second Maccabees used to explain the day of Nicanor when people actually cared. So we're going to get to that uh, now. Let's let me start the actual lecture. <laughs> and um, so now now you have a. Oh yes, everyone, please uh, turn off your phones. Just Unless there's some super emergency that you need to hear about, then you can put it on Buzz. 
There you go. I think when um, the state was always a super emergency. Yeah, right. So, um, so what's what's the background that each of these books gives to um, to the Hanukkah story? Right, we're all used to the idea of you should say the Greeks, and of course it's actually the Seleucids, which were the Syrian Greeks, but might as well have been the Greeks. Right? Um, we always call them the Greeks. Um, and Antiochus has these decrees which forbid the keeping of the Jewish religion. And First Maccabees, which again, which was a book that was written probably as kind of a history of the Hasmoneans, almost like Debrayamim. It's almost in, in terms of chronicling the kings of, of the, the Hasmonean kings until the kingdom is, is considered somewhat secure. So in the first Maccabees goes on way longer than Second Maccabees does, and for First Maccabees, independence is super important. Jewish independence, the independence of you could say a Jewish state, is very central in First Maccabees in a way that is not is not in Second Maccabees, which was written in Greek. It's an abridgment of a work by a Jew named Jason of Cyrene. That's all we know about him was that he wrote this five volume work that was then abridged. Where is Cyrene? It's it's in Libya. Sorry. Okay. <coughs> Yeah, so, um, but, and then it was abridged by someone, by another diaspora Jew. After it was abridged by this diaspora Jew, at around the time of the independent, when the Jewish state got independence, um, and now I'm, I'm, sw- I'm, I'm switching into what uh, the, time, the timing that Daniel Schwartz says, and I, it sounds correct, that probably around the time when, when they got independence uh, from Demetrius, they uh, they said you know this is a really good book and this is a great way to kind of sell Hanukkah to the diaspora and they added on a little they tacked in in the middle a little section on Hanukkah they put on a letter that we're going to read about saying this is why you should keep Hanukkah and they sent it back to Alexandria right they sent it back to the diaspora and said here's why you should keep Hanukkah from now on. Okay, so but let's start with First Maccabees. Yes. That, that letter so wasn't part of the five-volume work? That <laughs> Not at all. Right? No, no, no. It's been, it very clearly wasn't part of the five-volume work. The five-volume work and the abridgment end with the day of Nicanor. Okay? That's super early, and we're going to talk about that. That's really early in the whole battle. I mean, they did, the guy who wrote it didn't know, right? He ended his book, apparently, before the death of Yehuda Maccabee, before the death of Judah the Maccabee. <coughs> And, and so he's like, yay, big victory. And then it ends, right? Second Maccabees. Let's, 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 look, at, let's look inside. So first Maccabees mm-hmm. gives us the background that we would expect for Hanukkah, which is um, talking about, and out of them arose a sinful root, Antiochus Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king, who had been a hostage in Rome and became king, etc., etc. In those days out of Israel came sons, transgressors of the law, and persuaded many saying, let us go and make a covenant with the nations around us, because from the time we separate ourselves from them, many evils have found us. In other words, there's this, there's this idea that we used to be like all the other nations. This whole keeping separate from them, that's a new thing. Let's go back to the way it was. Okay, These are the, these are the Hellenizing Jews. And the proposition seemed good in their eyes, so some of the people took courage and went to the king, and he gave them the authority to follow the statute to the nations. And they built a gymnasium in Harris, and um, I'm never. I, is it Hiroshima? Let's let's say according to the precepts of the nations, and they fashioned foreskins for themselves and apostatized from the holy covenant and joined themselves to the nations and sold themselves to do evil. Okay, and the kingdom was ready in the sight of Antiochus, and he undertook to become 
king of the land of Egypt, and then he conquers Egypt. And then after conquering Egypt, he comes back and he pillages the Beit HaMikdash. Okay. And after taking the spoils, this is 31, and he took the spoils of the city and burned it with fire and tore down its houses and the walls around it. And they took the women and the children captive and took possession of the livestock, and they reconstructed the city of David with a large and fortified wall with fortified towers, and it became a citadel for them. This citadel is the Chakra. Right? This citadel is the Chakra, which they found recently uh, in the city of David. Right? They actually found this fortress in the city of David. This is a fortress that is going to stick around to the very end where kind of the Seleucids and Seleucid sympathizers hole up within Jerusalem and fight from this huge fortified fortress throughout. Okay? Uh, we'll see a little bit uh, a little bit later why this is so striking, right? Uh, and they stationed a sinful nation there, lawless men, and they became strong in it, and they stockpiled weapons and food, and gathering the plunder of Jerusalem, they stored it there and became a great threat. Okay, so here, um, um, and then there's um, then there's just a, a, a seemingly just to follow the decision of Antiochus to kind of decide that, there, that people aren't going, people can't keep the the traditional laws and that they have to sacrifice to the to the emperor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, and and the and Mattatiel and his sons rise up in protest. Now, second Maccabees. So the, so the target audience are Jews in Israel. Uh, first That's Maccabees. I, I I think uh, yeah. I mean, it's written in Hebrew, so it would be Jews in Israel. Um, there's, there's a general recognition at this point, I would say, that diaspora Jews, if you want to, if you want to write to diaspora Jews, you're not going to write right. in Hebrew. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, that is the initial target. And, and the initial idea that, and there's, and there's a general idea that uh, Gentile rulers are usually going to be against you. Right? That, that, that's kind of a taken for granted. You don't have to ask why he do wicked things. Well, sure he did wicked things, right? It's like when we say, oh, it's Antiochus. Yeah, why not? Because right? they trying to get the people to support the new government? Um, I, this was written quite late. I think this was really more written, I mean, I'm sure it was written also partly as propaganda and partly as a history. Like, any history is written in a way as propaganda. So maybe now, nowadays, somehow, we don't write it that way. But, <laughs> but, but it's written much, much later than Second Maccabees. So it's not written right after independence. It's written, um, it's written much later, and really it seems to be a history just to kind of give you, this is everything that happened. Obviously, it's going to give it Put everything in a positive light with uh, Matityahu. It 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 it, um, <coughs> it compares him very strongly to Pinchas. It makes it. There are a lot of biblical references in First Maccabees, um, and there. Um, however, there isn't much emphasis on the help of God. Of course, God helps. Of course, they ask God for help, but it's it's de- detailing the wars. Detailing wars. This is a battle. This is what happened. Um, um, in fact, there is in the beginning of the battle in First Maccabees, it talks about how there's a group of very religious Jews, Chassidim, uh, right, and they they hole up and and the um, the enemy forces come. And they want to make them sacrifice, right, um, and and they say come out and sacrifice. They say no, we won't. And it was Shabbat, and like we won't come out, we won't desecrate the Shabbat. And the problem was, of course, they wouldn't even fight because that would desecrate the Shabbat. They wouldn't fight. And so they are all slaughtered. And a decision is made, right, from, you know, the, from high up, say, we can't do this anymore. We fight on Shabbat because otherwise we will lose. They will simply attack us on Shabbat and we're, and we're over. And I know it strikes some people and say, what do you mean? It's the 
Nefesh, you have to be able to uh, to defend yourself on Shabbat. Well, that wasn't clear, that clear then. This was not a clear rule then. <coughs> they said it was. They, it had to be a, a decision had to be made that it is perfectly fine <coughs> to defend yourself. You mean all the, all the time before that, and times of double Melch and everything, it was never the issue of fighting. Uh, let, let's, never, let's, let's 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 be let's be real. There isn't a constant chain of fighting from David Hamelach to the Maccabees, right? So they and they're trying to be very religious. These are people trying to be very religious. They don't have any tradition of fighting, right? They don't have to say they don't say, okay, oh, gee, when my father fought, he fought on Shabbat. His father didn't fight, right? But he's fighting now, and he says, I am going to be religious. This whole thing is a battle, right? To keep that I'm going to keep the right laws. If I don't keep the laws, then what you know? What am I fighting for? So they had so so a decision. So it had to be something on high saying, no, on Shabbat we we must fight. Okay, so um, let's and then let's go to Second Maccabees. The Second Maccabees <clears throat> gives a whole long background of why did this happen. Okay, why were there these decrees? Why did Antiochus get so upset? And essentially, what was going on was different Jews were going from Jerusalem. And they were bribing, right, the the powers that be in order to be the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, right? Because of the power that that involved and the wealth that that involved, apparently, um, and and there was a an argument between Menelaus and Jason. Jason had been the previous Kohen Gadol. Menelaus got, came up with a bigger bribe. He bought it, right? And then and I'm, I'm dropping a few of the names in between because believe me, there are a lot of people involved. Um, when a false rumor arose that Antiochus was dead, Jason took no fewer than a thousand men and suddenly made an assault on the city. When the troops on the wall had been forced back and at last the city was being taken, Menelaus took refuge in the Acropolis, in the Chakra. Uh, but Jason kept relentlessly slaughtering his compatriots, not realizing that success at the cost of one's kindred is the greatest misfortune, but imagining that he was setting up trophies of victory over enemies and not over compatriots. He did not, however, gain control of the government. In the end, he got only disgrace for his conspiracy, and he fled again into the Ammonites. And then, then, then it tells you how he got exactly how he got exactly the punishment that he that he, uh, he deserved. He who had cast out many to lie unburied, had no one to mourn for him. He had no funeral of any sort, and no place in his ancestral tomb. Okay. Now, what happened? So, what happened? You've got two different Jews who are arguing over who the high priest. The one with the bigger bribe is now the appointee of, of, the, of the ruler, right, of the king, right? He's the appointee of the king. And this other guy hears that the king's dead. So he gets an army and he attacks Jerusalem. Now, from the king's point of view, this is a revolt, right? This is a revolt from inside because his guy, he's attacking his guy, right? He's appointee now, okay? So when news of what had happened reached the king, he took it to mean that Judea was in revolt, so raging inwardly, he left Egypt and took the city by force. Okay, he takes women and children. He goes into the Beit HaMikdash, he profanes it. And then eventually, what happens is there, there are more arguments. There's a, 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 um, there's a, um, um, there's, there's on the one hand, there's Hellenizers, and the people who are against the Hellenizers. And again, Antiochus takes this as a revolt, and he, and he responds with the decrees. Okay, but the idea is... Yes, Antiochus is a bad guy here in Second Maccabees also. Very clearly a bad guy. <coughs> There's a chain of events that lead to him making the decisions he made. 
He didn't just decide to create these decrees. He created the decrees because he thought that the Jews were rebelling against him, at least partially because of the laws of their fathers and because of this idea that they, and they weren't sacrificing to him, all these different things. And so he put on the decrees. Now, in 2 Maccabees, this is followed with, there are many, many stories of martyrdom. There are certain ideas in 2 Maccabees as a, as a work that's a Hellenistic work, that's typical of, um, of other, other Hellenistic works, Greek works even, that there's a, um, a glorifying of martyrdom. Right? If you ever, if you know the story of Hannah and her seven sons, or Miriam and her seven sons, here is just a mother and her seven sons. That story is in Second Maccabees at length, where each of the sons gives speeches how he will be reborn and Antiochus will never die, etc., etc. Um, there's an old man named Elazar who also dies with martyrdom with a very nice speech. You know, there there's a guy named Razus later on who tries to martyr himself, and after and it's actually kind of a humorous. I mean, I. You shouldn't find it humorous, but it's kind of funny. He keeps trying to kill himself. He runs out to the troops, and the troops are just like, you know, what's the story? And he, then he, he's, I think he's, I'm trying to remember what the order is. He throws himself off a cliff, and everyone kind of parts, so that he kind of plops in the middle. And then, and then he, um, I don't remember if he stabbed himself first and he did. Yeah, I think he stabbed himself first and he didn't die, and then he throws himself off the cliff. And everyone parts, and then he finally dies. And he, he's a martyr. <laughs> but there's a, a kind of a, glor- a glorification of martyrdom. There are also miracles in Second Maccabees, where you don't have them in First Maccabees. And there's also an emphasis in First Maccabees that what what they're fighting over is the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem and the temple, but really the city of Jerusalem. Um, and um, <clears throat> and <coughs> then the question is, the question is, okay, so. They're fighting over, in, in Second Maccabees, really, the emphasis is Jerusalem and not so much independence, right? It's, it's the idea is not, the, in Second Maccabees, the idea isn't you need to, they, they're fighting for independence. The idea is they're fighting for Jerusalem, for Jerusalem, for the right to keep their ancestral laws, which are so important, and, and, for the, and, and to a certain extent for the, for the temple. Um, and whereas in First Maccabees, um, they're fighting, they, in, in fact, they're fighting for the temple, they're fighting for, eventually, independence, because it just keeps on going. <clears throat> so, what is, in fact, the, what is Hanukkah? What is the source of the holiday of Hanukkah, right? So, you know, my Hanukkah, right, in the, in the Talmud, it tells us, what, what's the reason for Hanukkah? The oil. The oil. The miracle, the miracle of the oil, that all the oil was desecrated, and when they restored the the Beit Hamikdash, they had, didn't have enough oil, and um, and they couldn't. They were not going to get enough pure oil in time, and they found one little jug of oil that was sealed, and it lasted for eight days, and that's the miracle of Hanukkah. Okay, where else do we find someone talking about the miracle of Hanukkah in the books of the Maccabees? Of course, we don't. Right? There, there, no one, no one talks about it. Josephus, actually, and Josephus is a historian, right? From well, from after the Maccabees were written, he's using the books of Ma- the Maccabees as sort, as, at least I believe Second Maccabees as a source for what he's saying, what he says about about um, the whole Hasmonean history. Um, Josephus says he talks about he talks about them lighting the menorah. He uses the word photos, light. They lit it. And he says that the, the and, and Hanukkah is called the holiday of light, Photos. And why? 
because it enlightened us. But in other words, he he gives he says he knows it's the holiday of life, but he doesn't he doesn't know why. Now it could be that he knows why. He just doesn't want to say why, right? But the question is why. <laughs> right? What in that? Because sometimes sometimes Josephus speaks to his audience. And his audience is frequently a Gentile audience. And if he thinks there's something that's going to somehow, you know, kind of hit a Roman wrong, he'll they, change it a little. They like miracles. But, they, but miracles shouldn't be a big deal. There's nothing, there's no reason not to say it. However, it's already being called the holiday of life, which is interesting. Right? So why is anyone calling it the holiday of life? So that's kind of a question. Let's, let's, let's go on, because we'll see a little bit more. I mean, I'm not going to solve this problem, right? But... But we're going to see, so what, how is Hanukkah described in 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees? Now it would be nice if 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees gave us a, a Judean view of the holiday versus a, a, an Alexandrian view of the holiday, but they don't. <coughs> because the description of Hanukkah and 2nd Maccabees apparently was inserted by the person who took 2nd Second, Maccabees and used it as a letter to explain, as a book to explain Hanukkah. In other words, where we're both, we're getting here are two different accounts both from Yehuda, but from slightly different times. Okay. All right, so um, still it's, it's very interesting. Uh, how much time was there between the writing of the first Maccabees and the second Maccabees? Okay, so if you look on the back, and, and um, if have, you look... Oh, you don't have the time, I'm sorry. So um, if, we, if, we, if we say, if we agree with that yeah. instruction, there's no reason not to, I think, um, that, that, um, second, Mac, that oh. second Maccabees uh, was written about... Well, no, it would be not when Second Maccabees was written. Second Maccabees was probably was almost certainly written around 161 BCE because right afterwards things get bad again, and there's no recognition. It's, it's, it simply says, okay, now everything's fine. If you look at, um, if you flip to, oh, if you, sorry, you, that, oh, you have a timeline there. If if everyone flips to page four and you see Second Maccabees 15, this is the very end of Second Maccabees, okay, and it's the battle with Nicanor. It's the victory over Nicanor, and it says this is how it went with Nicanor, and from that time the city has been ruled by the Hebrews. So I myself will here bring my story to a halt. In other words, story's over, okay? What's the timeline? The timeline is the Battle of Nicanor was in 161. We didn't get independence until 142, all right? So that's nearly 20 years afterwards that we got independence. There was constant fighting, not just until then, but even afterwards. The Chakor doesn't surrender until after, after the, the, the Judeans get independence. Or you, you say, you start out, well, after the Hasmoneans get independence. Um, so, so it, this, the fighting continues a long time after Nicanor. So apparently, Second Maccabees was written and abridged, probably, um, and abridged um, after shortly after the Battle of Nicanor. So that's about 161 BCE, uh-huh. and then it was repurposed by someone in Yehuda. At around 142 BC. And first Maccabees, when was that written? And first Maccabees couldn't have been written before 134 BCE because it includes all the everything that happened after until Yochanan Herkinus. So in other words, um, second Maccabees is actually first Maccabees. That's right. Yeah, that, 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 that is absolutely true. Second. In every way, in every way, even in its final, final, final form, even its repurposed form, it is it is much earlier. So why is it called second instead? I mean, that's the confusing part. Well, it's probably called second because everyone because everyone recognized that it was originally this Greek work. 
and so it was kind of secondary to the real Hebrew work uh, okay. that was first Maccabees, right? Um, actually, um, um, I think I think we even have I forget which church father calls it the second the second Greek Maccabees. And so uh, it's, the people were calling it oh because it's the Greek Maccabees, so it's the second Maccabees. People knew that the first one was originally in Hebrew, the second one was originally in Greek. It was kind of so it was it was a secondary one. So just okay? to, uh, what you were saying yeah. about the. Uh, the, the in fact, it's not mentioned or anything. Where along this timeline would be the the miracle of the oil for today? Okay, so here, so you have so it so so Hanukkah purifi- purification of the temple is one sixty four BCE. That's three years after the decree. Three years after the decree, they have the purification of the temple. The fighting continues, right? The fighting continues. Okay, the fighting continues for twenty two years, at least 22, 23 years after Hanukkah. Okay, after Hanukkah. In fact, let's look at let's look at the account of Hanukkah here. Um, that's on page again, page two. Okay, so first Maccabees four, and they join battle with each other. And from the army of Lysias, they're fighting in Jerusalem. Okay, it says, but but Yehuda and his brothers said, "Look, our enemies have been smashed." I'm reading verse thirty-six. Let us go up to purify and rededicate the temple. <coughs> and the whole company gathered together and went went up to Mount Zion. And they saw the holy priest desolate and the altar defiled, etc., etc., etc. And of course they mourn, they spread ashes on themselves, they cry out to heaven. Then Yehuda ordered men to fight those in the citadel until he could purify the temple. In other words, the, the people are still fighting them from the Chakra. Okay, the Chakra is in Yer David. They're fighting from there, they're shooting arrows from there. Okay? Meanwhile, they want to purify the Beit HaMikdash. It's not that far away. So you've got some people fighting the, the fighting the Seleucid forces in the fortress, and some people are cleaning out the Beit HaMikdash. There's fighting going on during the purification. This is not at all the end. It's not at all the end of the war. And then he, and he selected uncorrupted priests, devotees of the law, and they purified the temple and took the stones of pollution to an unclean place. And they took counsel concerning the altar of whole burnt offering, Mizbah HaOlam, which had been defiled as to what they should do with it. And there fell to them a good counsel to tear it down so that it would not become a reproach to them because the nations defiled it. And they tore down the altar and put away the stones on the mount of the house in a suitable place until a prophet would come to give an answer concerning these things. Considering what things were, you can't smash, it was a misbeach, it was, a, it was an altar, you can't just smash it, right? But it was profane, so what do you do with it? So they said, well, put it away until, until you know, someone can tell us, Geniza. you know. Huh? Geniza. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. This is exactly where we expect to see the miracle. And, and they don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. So you know, they, they say they brought the lamp. They say they burned incense on the altar and lit the lamps which were on the lampstand and they gave light in the shrine and they placed loaves on the table and spread out the veils and finished all the works which they made. In other words, yeah. it, it's one of the things that you do, right? This is part of the, the, the temple service, the, you know, what you do in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? And Yehuda, his brothers, and the whole assembly of Israel established that the days of the rededication of the altar would be commemorated in their times, year by year, eight days from the 25th of the month, Kislev, with gladness and joy. So why eight this days? This is Hanukkah. They, why did they do Hanukkah? To remember the dedication of the altar. Okay? Why, why eight days? Why eight days? Because when Shlomo HaMelech, right, Shlomo HaMelech dedicates the, the Beit HaMikdash, what he does is he has seven days, and then he has Sukkot. And it says, and he released them on the eighth day. Right? Now we're going to see in 2 Maccabees that it is called 
It is called the Sukkot and Kislev. Right? In other words, this is supposed to remind you of what Shlomo HaMelech did when he dedicated the Beit HaMikdash, and the eight days is, helps remind you. Okay? Because that's Sukkot. Alright? So here it's, it doesn't make you feel Sukkot. It's Second Maccabees. What? And they missed Sukkot that year in the middle of that. Well, that's what it says so in Second Maccabees. Right. Second Maccabees, it says they couldn't keep Sukkot, so they did Sukkot. But the, the um, now Second Maccabees, I'm going to remind you again, what you see in Second Maccabees is still Judean, because it's the Judean um, insertion, so that, it, and you can see it's an insertion, because it's right in the middle of talking about how Antiochus died. Right in the middle of talking about how Antiochus died, they plop the story of Hanukkah. Okay? And we also have the letter that introduces <laughs> the whole book. Okay? So the letter that introduces the whole book is on page 3, 2 Maccabees 1. Okay? And this is what uh, the fellow Judeans and Salima and those in the land of Judea to their Judean brothers in Egypt, greetings and true peace. May God do good to you, and may he remember his covenant with, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, his faithful slaves. May he give you all a heart to worship him, etc., 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 may he, blah, blah, blah. In the reign of Demetrius, in the 169th year, we Judeans wrote to you in the critical distress that came upon us in those years after Jason and his company revolted from the Holy Land of the Kingdom and burned the gate and shed innocent blood. Remember Jason? We prayed to the Lord and were heard, and we offered sacrifice and grain offering, and we lit the lamps and set out the loaves. And now see that you keep the days of the Feast of Tent Pitching in the month of Kislev. Keep Sukkot in Kislev. Keep the, the Feast of Sukkot in Kislev. They're supposed to know what that means. In the 188th year, etc., etc., um, this is another greeting. Having been saved by God out of great danger, we thank you greatly as men drawing up in battle order against the king. Uh, since we intend to celebrate the purification of the temple on the 25th of Kislev, we thought it necessary to notify you in order that you also may celebrate it as a feast of ten pitching and of the fire, given when Nehemiah, who built both the temple and the altar and offered sacrifices, and then it explains how, how this fire that burns in the altar is actually passed down through generations. Now you could say maybe that's why it's a festival of life. Because here they're making a big fuss over the fire in the altar. Right? Where's the fire in the altar for? And they go into this whole story about how the fire in the altar was passed down. And it's been passed down without a break. Okay? So you could say, well, maybe that's the reason. And who knows? Were, were they suggesting keeping Sukkot in Kislev perpetually or just in that year? No, okay, so let's read what, how they describe it. Um, so in 2 Maccabees 10, it says, It happened that on the same day on which the shrine had been profaned by foreigners, the purification of the shrine took place. That is, on the 25th day of the same month, which was Kislev. They celebrated for eight days with rejoicing in the manner of the Feast of Booths, right? Sukkot is eight days. Uh, which we answer. Remember how not long before, during the Feast of Booths, they had been inhabiting the mountains and caves like wild animals. They, they missed Sukkot, right? Therefore, carrying ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palm, they offered hands of thanksgiving to him who had given success to purifying his own, of his own place. So here we have both the carrying of the <coughs> keeping Sukkot, and the Hodul Hashem Kito was actually the, the first, um, in, in, the, in the first kind of account of a standard liturgical prayer is in the Beit HaMikdash on Sukkot, as described in this. So this is also part of the giving thanks. It's also supposed to remind you of Sukkot. Uh, they decreed by public ordinance and by vote that the whole nation of the Judeans should observe these days every year. Okay. Now remember that this has been an insertion of the person in Yehuda who decided, probably from the from the court of the Cheshbonaim, uh, the person from from Yehuda who decided to repurpose this book and use it as a to tell to tell as we saw in the introductory letter to tell them 
um, keep Hanukkah. Guys, where you're in the diaspora, you know what happened, now you should keep Hanukkah. Okay? Um, so again, there's no miracle, but what there is, is there's fighting, there's a victory, and now keep Hanukkah. Now after Hanukkah, however, the fighting continues. And our time is getting a little short, so I'm not going to go really into depth. But as you can see, the the the, um, the people of Chakra continue to fight in Jerusalem itself. You have the Battle of Nicanor, which is a huge fight, also over Jerusalem. Now, the Battle of Nicanor is so is so uh, threatening, is so threatening that for the author of Second Maccabees, that is the victory that he's commemorating, right? He's, he, say, he says, and if we look at the Battle of the Nicanor in 1 Maccabees 2, if we look at 2 Maccabees, 2 Maccabees 15, it says, And they all offered praise to heaven, blessed the manifest Lord, saying, Blessed is he who has kept his own place undefiled. Right? This was a victory against those who wanted to defile the base of Dash and the city. Yehuda fastened Nicanor's head to the citadel, visible to all, and an obvious sign of the help of the Lord. And they all decreed by public vote, never to let this day go unobserved, but to have the 13th day of the 12th month, which is called Adar in the Syrian language, marked the day before Mordechai's day. Wow. This is how it went with Nicanor, and from that time, the city has been ruled by the Hebrews. So I myself will here bring my story to a halt. Okay? So for the author of Second Maccabees, that was it. Now we won, now it's over, now let's all, let's let's all celebrate. Let's, yeah, now let's eat. Now let's celebrate. Okay? And this is what it's going to be. It's the day before Mordecai's day. Which okay? is a separate holiday. Right. In other words, there was Nicanor Day the day before before Purim. Yeah. yeah. And there was also the the eight days following the twenty fifth of Kislev. Right. Well, the eight days. Okay. The eight days, though, note that the eight days, all right, were inserted by the later Judean. So, in other words, Uh, you that you understand. So, so, and it's not that much later because it was probably inserted again around the the time. So, let's let me go over the timeline, especially for those of you who don't have a copy. Um. So what happens after the Battle of Nicanor? So after the Battle of Nicanor, Yehuda HaMakabi dies. Okay? Yonatan takes over leadership. Um, there's a... Um, meanwhile, before the Battle of Nicanor, there was a, a, Helen, Helen, a Hellenizing uh, high priest was appointed named Alchemus. And he... And, and then he died. He died after Yehuda HaMakabi died. And for about... Seven or eight years, there was no Kohen Gadol. There was no Kohen Gadol. Seven, eight years. This is after Hanukkah. In other words, there's fighting going on. Okay? Uh, uh, finally, in 152, Yonatan is appointed Kohen Gadol. In 142, ten years later, while they're fighting, they're fighting. They're, at that point, they start building up treaties. The treaty with Rome. They start, they start trying to act as an independent nation, as an independent state, as it were. Uh, Demetrius II finally recognizes Judean independence at 142 BCE. And this, this is probably when they start, they say, okay, let's look back. We have independence now. How are we going to commemorate this independence? Okay. And, and this is what's interesting. They look back and they say, what have we accomplished? And what they decide to commemorate is Hanukkah, the holiday. They say, this is going to be it. This is the holiday. What's that holiday? The holiday of the rededication of the Beit HaMikdash. So it was the Yom Hatzimut of their day? 
It was, I would say, I, I, I'm actually trying to say the opposite. I say, what does it mean? What does it mean? Oh, you're trying, right. What, what does it mean? What does it mean when you say, this is how we're commemorating it? It, it makes a certain statement. It's saying, this is the important thing that we did. This is the important thing that we have now, right? It's tying, it's very much, first of all, it's tying the rulers very much to the Benjamin Dutch, right? It's tying the kingship with the temple. In other words, in other words, our, our, our um, ability to rule is what allows us to have free worship in our, in our Beit HaMikdash. Which is also and propaganda our, because they were priestly kings. Well, sure. I mean, do, do I we, mean it, makes, you know, it makes sense, and, but it's also, and, and, it's, and it's tying it together in a way, and that is going to be the holiday. That's going to be the holiday. Well, are Fazal um, adding the, the spin that we have today, so to speak, on top of a holiday that was already been observed nationally? Well, there were, it, was, it was clearly already being observed, because when they say my Hanukkah, there's already an idea that people are keeping this, right? right? So, um, Chazal didn't establish it, sounds at first. Yeah, Chazal did not establish it. No, no, no. The Jewish, new Jewish government did. The new, the new Jewish leadership, let's put it that way. I mean, new Jewish leadership, and then the new Jewish leadership <coughs> sent a letter out to the diaspora, and they said, guys, you remember what happened? So we're telling you, let's all keep this holiday. We're telling you to keep this holiday because that's what we're doing now, right? To commemorate, to commemorate what we accomplished. And the thing that they're remembering was actually very early on in the fighting. It was only a few years into the fighting, but this was the big accomplishment. Right? Now, what's interesting is actually, if we look at Second Maccabees, um, Second Maccabees itself actually doesn't have that different view in terms of the way. Now, on the one hand. First Mac, for First Matthew's independence is super important. The independence of the Jewish nation from foreign rule is, and the, is very, very important. Uh, for Second Maccabees, it, the idea is, because let's face it, Second Maccabees in its, in its even abridged form, it's being written by someone who's living in the diaspora under foreign rule. Foreign rule isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? But what's, what is a bad thing is to do bad things to Jerusalem and to the Beit So the message of Hanukkah goes along very nicely with Second Maccabees, even if that's not what it was about to begin with. What it was about to begin with was the day of Nicanor, right? Was the day to commemorate our victory over Nicanor, right? Saving the city. And um, and the part of the idea of Second Maccabees actually is that when it describes what Antiochus did, the point the point that um, that the author very quickly makes, is that the only reason that Antiochus would be, was able to do what he did was because the Jewish <coughs> nation as a whole had been sinning. And that the city, uh, the Jerusalem, suffered for, for the Jews. And it says it, because it is, it, is not that the, it is not that the Jews were chosen for the city, it is that the city was chosen for the Jews. The city is a reflection. This city was given to the Jews. And so it, it suffers with Jewish sin. And so once the Jews showed how they were willing to die for their faith, and they all came back and did what they were supposed to do, and there are lots of more, there are martyrdom stories and stories of people, you know, that, no, I will only eat, you know, I will only eat kosher, things like that. Um, because of that, you know, that um, kind of holiness, the city was naturally defended and returned to its previous state. And that's, that's the, more the message of Second Matthew. So in, in the final analysis, um, Second Maccabees is not that that different from First Maccabees in the way it presents Hanukkah. Though Hanukkah is 
central, even if second masterpiece maybe in its original form didn't mention it. The idea of the purification of the temple, the idea of of that we that this was done for the city and the Beit Hamikdash was super important. Now, what I think about Chazal and why did Chazal add this story of miracle? First of all, I'm not I'm not saying that they made it up. Like it's it's very possible that this story was around. But why would why would Chazal say this is Hanukkah? Because that's the same time. My Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? That's it, right? Why Hanukkah? Right? What is it? This is it. Because I think that the role the role of Chazal in terms of if you think what they had to do. If you think that they were coming from destruction, right? And they're the survivors. And that little bit of oil is enough to light everything and to light everything we need. I think that sort of a message is something that would really speak to Chazam. Right? I think that that sort of message is something that would, would say something. Yes? Also, perhaps, just the fact that it would be less meaningful to talk about the Maccabee victory when we were no longer controlling ourselves. And they're saying, That's why should we go and celebrate this great victory of the Jews against the Greeks when the Jews are no longer ruling themselves and the temple has been destroyed by the right. Romans? Right, that's, that's true, but when we say, and this is what I always, I always say, is if we, if we contrast, and I'm not the only person who says this, if we look at saying, okay, there's the, the, the explanation in, in, the, in the Talmud, which is the miracle, and then when we actually say Al-Hanisim, what do we talk about? The, the, the war. The war, the victory. We don't mention the, the, the victory. Miracle. We don't talk about the miracle. We don't mention so, the war. So we have, the, we still do, we still have this idea that, we have, a, we have, we still have this idea that we find the first map, the second map, that what mattered was the victory, right? That really, really, it was the victory that we thank God for, right? And that we that we praise God for. Yes. It's interesting. You said that, but the main victory that they're talking about in the second map piece is the victory at Nicanor. Yeah. Whereas in Anisim, we say we we say that. We, we we had a victory and then we lit the we we, we did uh, we lit, you know lit the right. camps and we and we were purified the temple yeah. which happened three years before the victory. So the not camp. just yeah and, and so I, so the, well, that means that Alisim has it back. That's what's interesting about when we look back. Think about when we look back at something. Okay, so Second Maccabees doesn't thinks it's over, right? They don't. It, the author of Second Maccabees doesn't have the luxury of looking back. He's still in it. He doesn't realize he's still in it. He thinks it's over, right? But he doesn't have the luxury of looking back the same way, right? Or maybe it was just a few years on. He said, you know what? I'm going to end on an up note. Let's end on, on the, the victory over Nicanor. Um, the author of 1st Maccabees does have the advantage of looking back, right? And he could say, okay, let me look back and let's see. And he still talks about Hanukkah, realize. Hanukkah's standing out for him. Then when we remember it, but then when we remember, what does it do? What does it do when you say the 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 way we're going to commemorate, the way we're going to commemorate this whole war is with Hanukkah. What, is, what do you automatically think afterwards? You're like, oh yeah, so Hanukkah was the end of the war. Okay, thank you for coming, everyone. You have been listening to Topics in the Dead Sea Scrolls and Second Temple Literature with Dr. Miriam Brand. Learn more at miriambrand.com.